Okay, well, let's get into the Word. Let's just pray before we begin this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would release to us knowledge, revelation, Lord God, that you would open up your Word to us this morning, that you would quicken our heart, that we would be attentive, that you would quicken our mind, Lord God, to receive the things of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. It, it goes out, it never returns empty or void, but accomplishes that that you purpose it to do. And Lord, we ask for your purposes of your word to come alive in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God. We thank you. You are a faithful God. And we love you, Father. We love your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, if you're following. Now, this, I'm not going to say story, because it's not a story. This incident with Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood is one of my favourite incidents in the New Testament. I absolutely love it. And it's so easy to overlook this woman. Now, I've shared on this once before, but it's so easy to overlook this woman. And uh, your subheadings in your Bible, sometimes it'll, it'll say, the woman with the issue of blood. Okay? But in actual fact, the woman with the issue of blood, the issue of blood wasn't the biggest problem. It was an issue of rejection. It was an issue of loneliness. It was an issue of brokenness. It was an issue of depravity that she experienced. And that came through a physical illness. And sometimes we can be in life, we can have a, a blip, a problem, an issue, and that one issue can sort of like spread out into three or four different issues. And rejection is a major issue that can affect our lives, okay? And if ever you've felt rejected, this is, well, in the Christian world, rejection's kind of, you've got to get over yourself, deal with it, come on, move on, that kind of attitude when it comes to rejection. Almost as if you're struggling with something that's not really that big a deal. But in actual fact, rejection for a lot of people, can shape their entire life. It can shape our personality. It shapes the way we relate to one another. It can shape the way we think. It is a massive problem. And most of the things we ever suffer with, we're a bit like Jacob. We can be a limping leader and we can have the same struggles year in, year out. Okay? And rejection is a major issue that we need to deal with because rejection brings insecurity. Insecurity is the best friend of rejection. Okay? And we suffer rejection in life and that's why you feel rejected. And we suffer rejections in all different types of ways. At the workplace, you can suffer rejection. At the school, at the college, in a marriage... You can be married and be rejected by your spouse, even though you're married. You can suffer rejection in all sorts of things, childhood rejections. And the reason you feel rejected or you suffer with rejection is because you were rejected. That's why you suffer with rejection, because you were 
rejected. Okay, and sometimes we have to face the fact that we were rejected, we were pushed out, or we couldn't get into that group of friends for whatever reason. And in my life, I've faced loads of rejection. And you get to the point, you want to reject yourself. You believe the rejection. And it begins to affect your life. But the danger is it affects your relationships. And it can affect your marriage. It can affect the way you bring up your children, the way you are with your partner. And it is a massive issue that sits just under the surface that often doesn't really get dealt with. And rejection is a major issue the, the circumstances led this woman with the issue of blood to go through, okay? And sometimes our weaknesses become our label. Oh, you know that bloke with the limp? You know that woman, that ugly one? Yeah. You know that person, the one who can't read or write properly? You know them people, the ones who went bankrupt? You know that divorcee? You know that woman? Yeah, the Christian one who had an abortion. You know that one? You know that one who's this, and labels get pinned on us and we can lose our identity of who we are. And God loves us for who we are. And this woman, because of her circumstances, becomes labelled the woman with the issue of blood. She was carrying a deeper wound and it was an issue of rejection. Whether Christian or non-Christian, rich or poor, young or old, we all encounter rejection at some point. And our experiences of rejection can shape our personalities and our lives and our marriage. And, and rejection is like something that, that quashes the personality of somebody. And they can't be free emotionally to give themselves completely because what if they get rejected? What if I get let down? What if this person abuses me? What if, what if, what if I did that before and somebody let me down? And then the enemy would love to hold us bound as a church, as individuals, held under the oppression of rejection. Even our families, you might have faced rejection. You might have been rejected based on your colour. Now, in England, if you're black, you probably experience racism. I went to Lagos, Nigeria, with a Nigerian and a Zambian. And the Zambian faced rejection in Nigeria because he was Zambian. And he was getting taunted by people and racially abused because he wasn't Nigerian, he was Zambian. Amazing. I got off quite scot-free, really. I was all right. But we can face these things right across society. And it's important that we deal with them. And the only way to deal with them is through Christ Jesus. He's the answer. Amen? He is the answer. Counselling will help, medication will help, but Jesus is the holistic, permanent answer. So being rejected in society, rejection from family can be one of the toughest ones to face. Really hard. And I grew up, I was the result of a rape. So my mother was raped, I was the result of it, so I grew up with the label, son of a rapist. 
And when I was 17 years old, my mum confirmed that label and she looked at me and she said, you will only ever be the son of a rapist. That's all you will ever be. I was 17 years old. And so that label pinned to my heart. You know, I had no real brothers and sisters. I had no this, that and the other. I felt rejected. I hated who I was, what I represented. You know, it was, it was really tough. And then apart from feeling rejected, we reject people. You begin to reject people. You let people in so far, but not all the way. Because you're protecting yourself. The walls of self-preservation that you build up because nobody else is going to protect you. But there's one who will protect you and be faithful and loyal to you, and that's Jesus. Amen? So in this text, the, the context, the pretext, Jesus' ministry has started off, his ministry and his healing people, he's setting people free, he just deal, dealt with the demonised man, and the crowds are following Jesus. Something is happening. There's a murmur in the area and people are beginning to follow Jesus. They're beginning to say, what is, who is this man? Is he, is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Even John the Baptist said, are you the one or do we wait for another? And there's this question arises and there's a sense of anticipation about Jesus and excitement in the crowd. And they're all pushing against Jesus. And on the way to the synagogue leader's house where his daughter was dying, a large crowd followed him. And Jesus is on his way to a dying child. And the crowd are following and pushing it because they want to see what's going to happen. Will this confirm that Jesus is the Messiah? The religious leaders want to see what he's going to do so that they can hold charge against him. You'll be surprised why people follow people in life. Not everyone's agenda is the same. Mark 5, verse 24 says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him, Jesus. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So there was a large crowd and they're pressing on him, they're touching him. And wherever Jesus went, there was euphoria and excitement. And there was a genuineness for people desired to get healed. Verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Well, nothing different today then. No, sorry. Uh, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. This woman was desperate. Twelve years of suffering, of continual bleeding. But what I love about her, even at this point, is she'd done all that she could within her means. She wasn't full of self-pity, expecting everybody to do everything for her. She did what she could, and she had spent all she had. She put her money where her mouth was. She was desperate to get healed. Desperate. And sometimes we are not as desperate as we think we are. 
Sometimes the ailment that we've got is more of an inconvenience. It's a frustration. It's a bit like walking with a stone in your shoe. It's a little bit painful, but we're too lazy to take it out. Well, that's me. You know, so I end up hobbling, but I'll take it out when I get home. I can't be bothered to stop now. And sometimes that's how we can treat our ailments. They almost become familiar. But this woman was different. She struggled and she spent all that she had. She went to the doctors. She did everything within her capability. When me and Mara were told we couldn't have children, any time we heard about healing ministries or stuff going on or whatever, that's it. We're in the car. We're going to the meeting. This time might be the time. We were desperate to have a baby. You know, I was praying for Mara continually every night. Oil all over her. She's like a slippery fish by the time I finished praying for her. Praying for healing, praying for healing. We were desperate. Amen? She's dried out now. It's probably why you've got such... No, it's probably why you've got such lovely skin. Yeah, it's all the oil, you see. Take the credit when you can. Uh, but nonetheless, we were desperate. We were driving like 100 miles at a second thought. No second thought, just get in the car, let's go. And you know what? For all our running man to all those healing meetings, guess what? We never got healed at any of them. None. Do you know when God did it? Just when we went round to a friend's house and we started chatting and we were talking, we'd just lost the third or fourth, we'd just lost the fourth child. And we were just chatting and then suddenly God gave us a revelation. That suddenly, that thing. We'd pressed in and we got a revelation. I said to my wife, I know what it is. I know how to handle it. Oh, it was wonderful. It's like seeing the, the, the line at the end of a marathon. It's in sight. The finish line. You're like, yes, glory to God. He's alive. I'm like that at part one. It's only 5K. But as soon as I start part one, I'm, I'm imagining the finishing line. I just want the pain to end. I'm useless. But God is faithful and he gave us the answer. But sometimes we've got to press in. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't get comfortable with it. Whatever the issue. Now this woman was desperate. But there was a bigger reason she was desperate. It wasn't just a physical situation that she was facing. This had much wider implications in her life and the society which she lived in. She'd done all that she was capable of. She was completely spent mentally, emotionally, physically. She had no money left. But instead of complaining about a situation, people put her money where her mouth was, her last penny went on doctors, and even the best doctors of the day fouled her. She would have been shunned in society, ignored and rejected. Her community would have seen her as unclean. And the rejection is immense. And the reason the rejection is immense, I'm going to read to you from Leviticus, and this will give you a bit of context to this miracle, okay? Because we can just read it on face value and think, yeah, she was bleeding continually, she was rejected. But there were far-reaching complications to this. 
ratifications. Leviticus 15, verse 19 says, now this is the Levitical laws that the Jews were living under. So this woman had to obey the Levitical laws. So this applied to her. Now, you think life can be tough. You listen to this. When a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Okay, so we're going to get a bit of biology today, a bit factual. Okay, so if a woman was having a monthly cycle, if you touched that woman, you became unclean until evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe in water, and they will be unclean until evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean, and they must wash their clothes, bath with water, and they'll be unclean until evening. Whether it is the bed or anything else she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they will be unclean until evening. So even if a woman was having a cycle and you were going to sit on the same sofa that she sat on, if you sat on it, now you're unclean until evening. If it was the bed, then you're unclean until evening as well. If a man has sexual relations with her and a monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days and the bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman's discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed that she lies on during her monthly period, anything that she sits on will be unclean during that period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bath with water and they will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days and after that she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day she must take two doves and two or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering. In this way he will make atonement for her before the Lord for her uncleanliness of her discharge. Wow! That's incredible. That changes the story of this woman completely. Because now we're understanding what it meant. Twelve years of being unclean. Twelve years of isolation. Twelve years of not being able to go to the temple. Twelve years of not being able to go to a wedding. Twelve years of being rejected. Twelve years of not having a husband or any intimacy. Twelve years. It's mad. It meant that even if somebody was to give her a drink of water, they can't physically, they have to put it on the floor or a table, step back, and then she can take the water. That's the life that she was living. She was living her life the equivalent to a leper. 
And that's why when she was in the crowd, she had to disguise herself. Because if the crowd saw her, they would do what? Reject her. They would reject her. Why? Because she's unclean. And this woman is desperate, not just for the bleeding to stop, but to step back into society, to feel loved again, to feel cared for. She is, she is a, a witness of society. She's on the outside of every wedding, looking in. She's at the outside of the funeral, seeing the funeral party, but not being able to participate. She is rejected by everyone, and dare I say, felt rejected by the Lord himself because she couldn't get clean. For all the tea in China, this woman couldn't get clean. That's why she was willing to pay all she had. It was more than just stopping a physical problem. She'd been seeking her healing, attempting to get set free, but her condition meant she was unable to participate in society. And there were some things sometimes you want to be a part of, but your situation or your station or your reputation, for whatever reason it is, you get rejected and you can't go. How many family occasions or weddings where people don't have the right relationships and you would love to have gone, but you can't because of X, Y, and Z? Uh, me and Mara years ago, I went to visit one of my sisters and... Uh, they said to me, oh, we were going to invite you and Mara around for Christmas. But we've decided not to, in case you talk about God. <laughs> Wouldn't it just be kinder not to say anything and just don't invite us? It's a bit like me saying to Tony, now Tony, I was going to buy you a new Land Rover, but I decided not to. Oh. Ricky, I was going to buy you a Maserati. Well, I decided not to. Mara, I was going to buy you a new electric bike, but there's no way that will ever happen. <laughs> Did you crash them? Sometimes when you're rejected, people want to, you to know you're being rejected as well. Some people are spiteful. They, they, they want you to hurt. They want you to know you're rejected or not accepted. People would have been fearful, fearful of her. Oh, what if I catch what she's got? Don't come near me. Can you imagine she's in the crowd and she goes to pick up a child? She, she just sees the child. And then they're gra grabbing the children away from her. No, 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 you can't touch her, you can't touch her. I truly wonder how she must have felt emotionally, alive, but yet imprisoned by her own body. Her body became a prison that held her bound. Had she ever felt the burden was too much to bear? Did she ever feel suicidal and think, do you know what, what's the point? Just what's the point? Everyone would be better off if I go. Nobody will miss me. They won't even notice. I might as well just end it. And those demons of suicide attacking the mind. 
I've been there. Have you been there? You know that pain. You know that torture. And she would have incurred these things, spent her day watching the rest of society, women with their children's children. She would probably actually seen by other people in society as a curse. And if anyone was caught associating with her, they're going to be in trouble. You know? Been in a situation where people are just keeping their distance from you, not because they have a particular problem with you, but what will other people say if they associate? Do you know what? I'll just keep my distance. And they, they're the things that she would have experienced. As I said before, her existence would have been parallel to a leper. Verse 27. When, Jesus, uh, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Hallelujah. This woman must have had some knowledge, revelation, awakening to put herself in that situation to try and touch the hem of his garment. There must have been. There must have been some revelation that opened her eyes to the fact that maybe this man is the Messiah. And she's going to put herself at risk to touch the hem of his garment. She doesn't want all the attention in the world. She, just the hem of his garment is enough. But she's going to risk. Because if she goes and follows Jesus and she's in the crowd, if she gets noticed, she's done for. She is done for. But yet, when she heard about Jesus, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear about Jesus, when we worship, I was having a bath on Monday. I do bath every Monday. I was having a bath, and I, the words of an old song came back to me, and I'm laying in the bath, and I begin to weep. I just begin to cry. That hasn't happened to me for years. And this whole, and I'm a terrible singer. Oh, it's awful when I sing. Honestly, it's like a dead cat trying to be resurrected. Oh, it's bad. I love you, Lord, and I live for more. Honestly, it's really bad. I failed my audition for Elvis this year. I didn't get it. Uh, but I laid in the bath, and I just began to sing. And the words, I just got excited about Jesus, you know? And this woman... Sometimes we have to stir up the gift of faith sometimes. We need to get excited again about the Lord. Amen? It's like any relationships. Relationships can become a bit spouse sometimes. They need a bit of injection, a bit of life. You know, when we're doing the same old things day in and day out and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we need a bit of life, a bit of adventure, a bit of excitement. Do things different. Change the room round. Take the wife out for a meal. Go somewhere. Turn up at people's houses unexpected, then you know if they do the cleaning or not. Okay? Yeah, it's a good check. Now, do you know what I mean, though? And even in our relationship with God, you've got to press in. I was talking to Emma last week, and I said, when I was a kid, I used to love American TV shows, all right? 
that growing up in the 80s, that was my thing. You had the A-team, Starksy and Hutch, Dukes of Hazard, you know, uh, all those sorts of films, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, it was great, all these American films. And I used to love it. And I loved the phrase the police would say on the radio, we're in hot pursuit. We're in hot pursuit. 10-4 for a copy, we're in hot pursuit. And I loved that phrase. And we need to be in hot pursuit of our saviour. And this woman is in hot pursuit. And she hasn't even watched the A-team. She hasn't seen Smokey and the Bandit, yet she's in hot pursuit. And sometimes we're sitting there miserable, filling the weight of all our problems, but we're just sitting there. And you've got to get up. Get in hot pursuit of where you're going. What is God doing? What is the answer then? You know, if you're not going to move, you're going to stay where you are. Jesus ain't going to come down and give you a piggyback. He left that for St. Christopher. Not really, but do you know what I'm saying? We need to move, and this woman moved. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She made a declaration over herself, a faith declaration. Now this woman had her head completely covered. She would not be able to be identified. She uh, took the one opportunity that she was going to get. One moment, one opportunity, what are you going to do? Are you going to let it pass you by? Or are you going to do an M&M and take it? One opportunity, one moment, and, and take that opportunity. And she took her opportunity yet again. She didn't turn around and say, well, what's the point? I've been to all the doctors. I've been to Dr. Uh, Karma or whatever, and he can't do nothing for me. I've spent all my money on the best. What's this rag and bone man going to do? The noise of the crowd would have been horrendous. People shoveling and barging, pushing in, trying to reach out and touch Jesus. They knew he was a miracle worker. But there was something different about this woman because she had a faith in her. It might have been little, it might have been worn out, but it was a bit of faith. And it's not the size of your faith that matters, it's where you put your faith. Amen? Everybody thinks, I've got to have faith this big. And Jesus said, no, it can be the size of a mustard seed. But where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put it? What is your faith in? Who is your faith in? Exercise your faith by putting it in Jesus because your faith will not germinate and grow anywhere else. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She believed he was the Son of God. She believed in the Old Testament prophecies about him. She believed that there was healing in his wings. She truly believed and it caused action in her life. Why? Because she believed. If you're driving your car 50 mile an hour towards a brick wall, you have faith in your brake pedal. Because you believe if you don't press it, you're going to crash. And that's exactly what happens. Years ago, my mum and dad went on holiday, and when I was still not quite as refined, my, uh, well, I used to drive my mum's car when I was 14, and she used to go to work. I used to nick her car, drive it all around the villages, 
run the petrol down and think, ah, I'll have to borrow some money to fill it back up with petrol. And I was wearing my school uniform. Well, years later, a few years later, I was about 18, and my mum and dad went on holiday. My friend wanted to have a go at driving the car. So I took him to Highland Car Park. I said, Neil, this is automatic. It's so easy. It's go, stop. That is it. It's the same as a bumper car. So we're in the, in the car park. I said, right, you ready? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he puts his foot down and he's heading towards the brick wall. And he's got his foot on the accelerator. And I'm going, Neil, Neil, brake, 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 smash. Crashed my mum's car straight into a brick wall. Smashed all the light, smashed all the wing up. Bits of the bumper fell off. I thought, oh, I can't believe it. My mum and dad come back from holiday and I lied. I could have dropped my friend in it, but I didn't. I said, Dad, I'm really sorry. When you were away, I took the car and I drove it and I crashed it. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm, you know, if you've got to milk it. But I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. I was a bit, you know, I was a bit shaken up. But I, I think I'll be all right. My dad, in his generosity, said, all right, all right, don't worry about your mother. I'll deal with her. That's every child's dream come true. Dad's going to deal with the mother. Yes. And anyway, so it all passed by. But a few years later, my friend was around my house. He got led to the Lord. He loved Jesus. But he was trying to get me in trouble, mucking around. So I thought I'd have a bit of revenge. I went, well, hang on a minute, Neil, with my dad sitting there. I said, who was it who crashed my mum and dad's car when they went on holiday then? My dad said, what? I said, yes, Dad. It wasn't me. I'm a good lad. He crashed your car. My dad got up, walked up to me, and went smack around the head. Oh, well, what's that for? He crashed the car. He said, yeah, but you lied about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, see? It don't pay, kids. Trust me, it don't pay. But this woman with the issue of blood, she knew there was healing in his wings. And Matthew 10, 41 says this, whoever comes, this is Jesus speaking, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous man as a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives a cup of water to one of these, the least of my disciples, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now he was saying, how do you receive people? How do you receive me? And Jesus is saying to them, if you receive me as the Son of God, you're going to receive the benefits that I hold as the Son of God. And it's the same with each other. If we will receive each other the way God has intended, we will receive the rewards from the relationship. I've said this before, if you receive Ricky and you only receive Ricky as an ex-gangster, flyboy, casino lad from London who can speak Ghanaian, Nigerian and Russian, Chinese occasionally when necessary, if you only see him as a wide boy and a bit of a laugh, that's all you're going to get from him, a bit of a laugh. But if you will receive him the way God's anointed him for who he is, then you're going to receive a whole lot more because he's a man of God. Hallelujah. And sometimes, you're, don't moan if you don't receive too much. It depends on how you view people as to what you're going to receive from them. And Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive his reward. What was the reward? It was salvation. 
the Jewish nation could get saved if they received who he was. Now, as we read this scripture, the woman touched the hem of his garment. And detail of that seems unimportant. It seems like she was just grasping at straws, that the push of the crowd, she just grabbed hold of something. That's what it seems like when you read the text. But when you look at this detail, it's incredibly important because it's the detail, the little bit that you don't notice, which was the key to her healing. She reached out and touched the hem of his garment. The detail seems unimportant. What's the big deal? At first impressions, we can run past it, but however, this detail is the key. The word hem is translated from the Greek word means kaz uh, pedon, which means a tassel of wool. A tassel of wool. The woman was reaching out for the hem, not the whole garment. She was reaching out for the hem, which translated is a tassel of wool. So there was something on Jesus. She wasn't just grabbing aimlessly his clothes. There was something particular she knew she had to reach out for. And in Jewish tradition, the tassel of wool that the woman was reaching out for was on the four corners of Jesus' garment. These tassels or knotted fringes, were instituted by God when he commanded Moses to instruct the people of Israel to tie them on their garments and the prayer shawls that they wore. And this continued for every generation and it's still the same today. If you go to Israel, you'll see them with their prayer shawls with the four tassels on now in Numbers 15.38, the word tassel is translated as border or corner, and in he the Hebrew word is kanafor. This is also translated as wings. And it's translated as wings 76 times in the Bible. The same word is used in Malachi 4.2 as the translation for wings. The reason the four corners of the prayer shawl with the little tizzit on were called wings, which hung on the fringe of the garment. Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. He will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like a calf let out to pasture. Hallelujah. He was saying, look, when you get the revelation and you understand it, you're going to be so full of joy, you're going to run out like a calf, a baby calf, when it runs across the field. It's a bit like my dogs. When I, let, I take them to the field just over there, and I get them both ready, and they know, and they're really good, and they're both ready, and I let Diego off, and Diego just runs like a rocket, in a straight line, just across the field. Rafa, he doesn't know what a straight line is. 
He hadn't got the foggiest idea. There is no sat nav built into that dog. So when you let Rafa go, Diego goes a straight line. Rafa is like this young uh, calf, full of excitement. And I let him go, and he goes. <laughs> That's what he does. And he just runs everywhere. He can't walk in a straight line. And then everything he thinks is life. It's like, water that one, water that one, water that one. Where's Diego? Water Diego. Honestly, that dog is a menace. But the joy and excitement on his face is overwhelmed. He don't know what to do with himself. That's what the scripture's saying. When you get this revelation, it's going to blow your mind. I'm getting out of breath. I'm getting old. It's going to blow your mind. And this woman got this revelation. She wasn't just reaching out, grabbing the air. She was strategical. She knew what she was doing. And this is what she was trying to reach. And this is a proper Jewish prayer shawl. I'm going to put it on there. Okay. My trusted assistant, Yomi, will help me there. Just that. That's what she wanted. If I can touch that, if I can touch the hem of his garment, if I can reach out and get my hands, there's healing where? In the wings. And these are called 76 times in the Bible, the wings. And Malachi says, the one will come with what? Healing. In where? In his wings. She knew what she was doing. Everybody wrote her off. But she knew what she was doing. And sometimes you've got to keep focused because people will write you off because it don't look like anything's happening. Nothing's germinating. You can't see anything. All they see is failure and rejection. And, but in God, if you know the word of God, you know who he is and you know who you are in him, wow, things can change. And it can be just a little thing that makes it happen. It doesn't have to be gold dust and thunderbolts, although that would be nice. It can just be a little word sent out, transform your life, turn things around, and bring what? What did this woman need? She needed restoration. She needed to be restored in her society, restored to her family, restored back to the temple, restored to the ones that she loved. And she couldn't do it. Only Jesus could. And she had to have the right timing. She could have thought, nah, stay in bed today. Have an extra hour, I won't go. But she was desperate. And when you're desperate, you'll get out of bed. And you'll walk a few miles if necessary. But it was the word of God that set her free. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And she knew as she saw him, that's the one. And I know what I've got to do. She had a revelation. She said, I don't need all the clothes. I just need the tulip. If I can get that, I'll home dry. And she believed, and her faith was rewarded. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out of him. Well, that's fascinating. I love that. Jesus realised that power had gone out of him. We had a prayer meeting last month. Was it last month? Yeah, beginning of the month. Do you know what? I felt at that body prayer meeting, we did business. Things shifted. There was a bit of movement. The Holy Spirit was moving. And as we prayed, there was a shifting. And sometimes you just know when God has done something. You say, that's enough. I don't need to touch it no more. He turns around in the crowd and asks, who touched my clothes? You're having a laugh. You imagine the disciples. Here we go, another one of those ones. What do you mean, who touched your clothes? I mean, last week it was feed the 5,000 with a couple of morsels. This week you're in the middle of a crowd. Everyone's touching your clothes is the answer. And he asked the disciples, who touched my clothes? But the text has already told us everyone was pressing against him. Everyone was touching his clothes. But somebody in the crowd touched his heart. Somebody touched him with faith. Somebody touched him believing this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the Son of God. And she touched him. And it could have been the only touch that Jesus, it was the only touch that Jesus recognised, didn't recognise any of the others. The poor disciples, they're going bold. They're like, following this bloke is doing my head in. They really are. Who touched my clothes? You see these people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched my clothes? I think you need a doctor. I think you need it. This was ludicrous to ask. What's wonderful is the one who touched his clothes in the crowd was the most impure of them all. We know that. She couldn't be touched. They put everything on the floor. She couldn't touch it. You couldn't sit on a bed. Got to go and change all the bed. Can't sit there for seven days, so on and so forth. You know all about physical touch. Yet the most impure woman, knowing she shouldn't touch anyone, reaches out and touches the Holy of Holies. The holiest of all men. She should have felt ashamed. She should have been embarrassed with her bleeding. She should never have tried to touch a holy man, let alone been in the crowd. But yet the most unholy of all of them in that crowd, this woman who's been isolated like a leper reaches out and she touches the most pure. And you know what the problem is sometimes with Christians? We think, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't mix with non-Christians. I shouldn't go to this, I shouldn't go to that. I might get contaminated. What if you go and you contaminate them? Like Jesus did. He never got contaminated. He affected everybody else around him. Last night, Caleb had a barbecue, invited all his friends around, flipping music. Oh, cool. I'm getting so old. Because they put music on, and I'm like, my dad, 30 years ago, I'm saying, son, listen to me. That is not music. It's noise. It's noise. That's all it is. It's just noise. I will play you music. Come with me. These are called the Beatles. Now, listen. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, you know, and he's got this 
and he's got all his friends around and uh, Muggins has ended up cooking the barbecue, as usual, um, useless at barbecues and all that sort of thing. I'm doing this barbecue and his friends have come and they've got some drinks with them, some beers and whatever they're drinking. I'm, I'm fine, they're all adults and that. But as the evening wears on and I've finished cremating everything, his mates start chatting to me and I hang around. Suddenly I'm one of them. I'm in the group. Suddenly they're asking me questions about society, about religion, about God. Wonderful. I didn't get contaminated, by the way. They did. They went away with a far greater mindset that maybe there could be a God than what they did. They thought they were just coming for a bit of food on the barbecue. Oh, no. See, sometimes you've got to have an agenda for people. Bless their hearts. They even cleaned up all the rubbish. I went to bed. I said, right, that's me done, I'm off. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Isn't that wonderful? She had to overcome her fear but she told him the whole truth. Truth. The truth will set you free. It will make you miserable first, normally, but it will set you free. And she told the whole truth. And often people tell you half-truths, but not the whole truth. Or as I've said to people in the past, you're not a liar, but you don't tell the truth either. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Wonderful. He calls her daughter. She's accepted into the family. He changes her identity in a second. Her identity is totally changed. And he calls her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Wonderful. The feelings of rejection in society, all what she's up the physical illness has now stopped immediately. Her life will be turned round. There's complete restoration for what we're seeing as the worst. Never give up on people. Don't despise backslidden brothers and sisters. Don't despise them. Don't sit in judgment on them. Pray for them! It's tiring sometimes when you hear people just slagging off backslidden Christians and they're Christians. Do you know what the Bible says? You judgmental people, and many do. It says, if you know someone in that state, go and rescue them. Love them back into the kingdom. It, says, don't, it doesn't say sit there and slag them off, say, well, they were never committed anyway. It says run after them, save them. If a brother can turn another brother from his sin, you have saved his soul. Wonderful. So with God, there's complete restoration. This woman was completely healed. She was restored. And she is adopted into his family. He says, daughter. 1 John 11. This is probably one of my favourite scriptures, along with the other two billion that I tend to... Yeah, you're all like that, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, this is my favourite scripture. And then you read your Bible and then, well, this is, well, that one is, and that one is, and that one. All right, then this is my favourite book. Well, it's my favourite part. 
Well, it's my favourite New Testament. Well, it's my favourite Old Testament. Oh, well, I just love the whole thing. I'll give up. But I love this. He came to that which was his own, talking of Jesus coming to the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him, receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He called her daughter. She'd been transferred into the family. He gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Do you know, that scripture transformed my life when you've been conceived the son of a rapist, and you've lived all your childhood and teenage years knowing that you're the son of a rapist, thinking you'll never be worth anything. And then God comes along, one of the first scriptures I read when I got saved, and my life was transformed. I thought, it don't matter how I got here. It doesn't matter natural descent, human descent, the will of a husband or the will of a rapist, but the will of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was placed on us, that was put on him, brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Stop living like you've not had the encounter with Jesus. Start remembering who it is I've had an encounter with. Oh yeah, I've got sickness in my body. Duh. Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. My bank balance is terrible. Duh. Jesus owns a thousand hill of cattle on a hill. You know, this, that's got broken fat. God is a God of miracles. You'll restore to me. The scripture says, I will restore to you all what the locusts have stolen. All. And there's three different types of locusts. We'll do that another time. It's wonderful. The rejection that she had is now gone. Why? Because she believed in Jesus. Do you need to reach out to him this morning? Do you need to reach out, not physically to this, but do you need to reach out to the tuzuk? Do you need to grab the hem of his garment? Do you know what to do to move forward? Maybe there's a bit of fog there and you're not sure what to do. What do I need to do? If that woman had grabbed the disciples, she'd be knackered. Yeah. If she, the Monty Python, don't follow the goal, follow the, follow the slipper, follow the sandal, the holy sandal of Jerusalem. You know? What if they went for that and took a scripture that was based upon sandals? Washing the disciples' feet, oh, come on. No, she knew what to do. My people perish. Why? Lack of knowledge. Don't know what to do. Why? Because they don't know the word. Get together with people. Pray. Start to get ready to take stuff back. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you. For your word says, the words of King David, Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
Teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in straight paths because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foe or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting out malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the Lord's goodness, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is life. You are the word, and the word is you, Jesus, and you brought life. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name that you will set us free from rejections, free. That, Lord, you give us revelation, just like that woman with the issue of blood had. She, she'd not even got a name in the Bible. She'd not even named. She was so insignificant. Even blind Bartimaeus had a name, but she was seen so insignificant, she's not even got a name yet. Oh, Father, I thank you that you rose her up. You've seated her with you in heavenly places and you called her daughter. Father, we just reach out to you. We say, Lord, have your will and have your way in each one of our lives. Help us to reach out to you. Stir faith within us. Cause us not to live in that web of rejection, but to step out of rejection, step out of insecurity, and step into the security of a heavenly Father who knows. In Jesus' name.